it's maybe not so difficult to get one sensational shot. Something seems really dumb about this, but here we go. You've tuned to the One Sensational Shot Network and you're listening to The Evening Glass with me, Fletcher Walton. At the end of May, I welcome comedian and senior Staden McCaffrey back to our London studios for a typically digressive three hours of conversation nominally focused on our two favourite blockbuster directors, James Cameron and Christopher Nolan. You'll be able to hear that discussion in a couple of weeks, but before then, here's an amuse-bouche as Aidan takes us through the frankly terrifying numbers for Avengers Endgame. So you were saying he's got... You were saying he's well, got three he's, good he's films. He's in Terminator and he's Aliens. There are two films that are beloved to our generation. One of them is the... Gr- I would say probably the greatest action film ever made, um, and he's a kind of a key part in that. He has a, he's just cool, isn't he? In that film, he's just like he's cool. He's understated. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. it's good. And you know, the chemistry and also to be fair to him, the chemistry between him and Weaver is real. Yeah, when they're on the um, when he's teaching her how to handle his gun. <laughs> yeah, well, that there's yeah. the whole when he repeats back to her. I think we should take off nuclear search from orbit, and it's like you two damn well want to fuck hard yeah, yeah. Um, only way to be sure yeah exactly yeah. Uh, it's, but it's, you kind of want to see him flourish elsewhere but the fact is maybe the, the, the market the free hand of the market did the right thing <laughs> Bean had a tough time in the 90s he's, a, he's conceded now that he descended into alcoholism and he was shit to people I remember when I was first told about that by a bloke on the MTV2 message board I, uh, I went into one and must have posted six or seven messages uh saying, where's your proof? I won't believe it without evidence. You can't just make these accusations. And then, like, two or three years later, I found out most of it was public domain. Um, So that harmed his career. I think that there's a couple of things there. I think Michael Bean's Hicks does enough to impress himself on an audience, but an audience can fill in the gaps however they like, and that's what sets the cult ticking, I suppose. Yeah. He provides a decent base, but then people can, a bit like with Boba Fett, people bring their own ideas to the table... And at base, maybe there's there's not that much. I think he's but better also, he doesn't, he doesn't. I mean, the, the soul of the film is Sigourney Weaver, and he doesn't step on that performance in any way. I think like the way he plays, yeah. the way he plays it, he creates room for Weaver to be the star. Now, I don't know how conscious that is, because as I said, there's evidence suggests that maybe he, I don't know, because he hasn't gone on to be an amazing actor. Maybe, I don't know if that's a choice, or it's just the way it's written, but it really, it really works, and there's something really admirable about that. He's not, in a way, he's not a typical 80s male Action. No, he's more, yeah, he's slightly passive. I don't know. It's quite passive. scrawny in a, in a way. I mean, yeah. he's obviously felt like he'd probably have either of us. We were, we were just were, talking about yeah. this, but yeah, if we if we think, yeah, uh, it, next, was next or it was one of the criticisms of Terminator Genesis that uh, Jai Courtney is fucking ripped to shit. And it's yeah. like, but no, he's coming back from in a future where he's like an emaciated soldier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that's what's cool about, about uh, Hicks in that first film. He's just a scrawny man of a you know trench coat like he's stalking this woman uh well protecting but you know what i mean it's like when we look when we see character actors and we presume that they might have comparable bodies to us and then they take off their top and you realize well no they're a hollywood character actor they're yeah. actually ripped <laughs> we're, quite, we're uh, nowhere near them i think uh what's the actor who played jj jameson in the spider-man films jk simmons yeah J. Jonah Jameson, yeah, J. Oh, Jameson. sure, yeah. yeah. But uh, he tweeted a picture of him on the set of Justice League because he played, like, the goth, uh, Commissioner Gordon, I think, in those films. And he's just in the gym. Oh, right. And it's like, even he has to be ripped. He, he's yeah, to be he's in his 60s. Well, you see it in Whiplash yeah. as Fletcher. 
uh, with the black t-shirt the entire time and the arm muscles. And, oh, good, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how long it would take us to get there. Well, probably, honestly, only probably like six weeks or something, but six weeks. That's one of the if, reasons If I, you had the drive. I genuinely want to be an actor because part of my job would be someone comes around my house at like half past nine every morning and says, right, up, breakfast, out, two hours on the treadmill, well, here's an your, hour on the treadmill, an hour in the Here's your liquidised cucumber, get that down your neck. Yeah, and, and that would, I would be paid to look fantastic and yeah. I'd feel brilliant about myself. Yeah. And additionally, then I get to act in films. But yeah. somewhere, uh, part of my job is just staying fit and looking great. I'd go for that. I was going back to Bean. I think you've got you've got to remember The Rock as well. Is that one you haven't yet seen? No, I have. I'm just never a massive fan of it. Oh, I forgot he's in The Rock. Mm, yeah, very well applied in The Rock. With his yeah, I won't I won't go too far into it. Um, I kind of should rewatch it. A lot of people say it's great, but I honestly don't like any Michael Bay film. I, don't think, I honestly think the rock, and I even think the rock is just it's just a slightly crass shit action film. <laughs> the rock betrays his uh the rock is the first instance of his deep admiration for military discipline and honor so in the rock the bad guys are really good guys because ed harris's intention is to expose um expose the mishandling of soldiers killed in action on secret manoeuvres on secret missions and their families received no reparation uh, they weren't even given a goddamn military burial <laughs> and that's a very Michael Bay theme who are the real heroes they're the men out there doing it and yeah he's he has such a hard on for that lot it's very <laughs> good Wynn and I have talked about this so often because I thought for a long time that The Rock was slightly superior to Con Air I think now is an expression of pure fun action. Con Air might be better because it's more because it's just a bit more sarcastic and sardonic. Yeah. The Rock is funny as well, but The Rock is really does take uh, the, the Rock takes admiration in its depiction of military heroism and honor and duty. Con Air has none of that cuz it's a bunch of conv- you've seen it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, and at the time I preferred Con Air to as throwaway as it is, you know, there's something fun and ludicrously Bruckheimer about um, Connor. Maybe that, maybe that's why I like it, because it is flippant. It is like, hey, let's just put loads of... Yes, flippant's the word. Yeah. It is glib, yeah. And the the, the cast is just superb. I, I miss those days of uh, Bruckheimer overloading the cast. So uh, four or five of your favourite character actors. In that case, it's Malkovich, Buscemi, Ving Rhames, um, Danny Trejo... And there's at least one more as well. Oh, yeah, Dave Chappelle has a role in that too. Uh, Yeah, I do like Connor. We're here to talk about James Cameron. Right, so I'll pitch it to you like this. This is an interesting perspective to take, but Marvel's Avengers Endgame is on the brink of becoming the biggest film of all time. Arguably. And in this context, I feel as though Jim Cameron, longer champion with Titanic and then Avatar, so ruling for 20 years and then overtaking himself for the last 10, 12 years. I feel he is the underdog and he's the the plucky upstart against a machine. Is Now, have there been 20 Marvel films before Endgame? I think Endgame is the 22nd. 22nd. So this franchise required a run-up of 11 years, 21 films. And now, 10 years of inflation. Yeah. Although, yeah. obviously, Avatar is also... A, is is juicing on inflation. And it took all of that to get even close to besting a man who wrote something, 
filmed it, put it out there and was universally enjoyed. Although Luke and I have talked often about the utter lack of cultural footprint left by Avatar. Titanic's a different matter entirely. But oh, yeah. In fact, all of his films are bar Avatar. I mean, well, well, not sure this. The Terminator films have a massive cultural footprint. Aliens is still kind of regarded arguably as being the best action film ever. Certainly one of the best female action Well, you said heroine. it four minutes ago, so it must be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the... Uh, Abyss, not so much, but you know, every director has their flop. In True Lies, it's sort of kind of, it's got its problems, but it's generally kind of a beloved, beloved action film. Um, and that's what's interesting to me, because Cameron went into Titanic having made two sequels uh, and a remake in uh, Aliens, Terminator 2 and True Lies. But then with two completely original pieces, Titanic and Avatar, captured the hearts and the money of the public <laughs> and to deny that is is folly and i think it's astonishing that i i think no i don't think, I don't think an original piece you mean needs to be number one is how i feel about okay, it okay so even if it's an adaptation i know gone with the wind is the true number one but it, it it's embarrassing for it to be avengers 27 or spider-man 12 i think like we have an agreement on this because i mean i I actually think Endgame's a better film than Avatar. It might not be better directed. I bet it is, yeah. I don't doubt that. Yeah, I mean, it plays its emotional cards really well. It's got a good script. I mean, it arguably doesn't make sense, but then most time travel films don't. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, And I think it just kind of does that thing Return of the King does where it brings lots of strands together and just gives you a nice, you know, emotional punch with some blockbuster action. You know, Avatar is well directed. He's a really good director. He understands cinematic space really well. But it's an appalling script. <laughs> there are interesting science fiction ideas in Avatar, and they, they're rendered incredibly well on the screen. But it, Cameron's really developed like a problem for just not thinking shit exposition is a problem. And you see it in um, what she produced, Elite Battle Angel. Oh, did you watch that? Yeah. And it's sort of quite good. You know, it visually does look great. But uh, honestly, clunky exposition has become a thing. He's got a proper blind spot for it. He does not read scripts and go, we need to make this seem more organic. He mm. just like, it was, he, you know... It's the whole thing in Avatar of just, like, uh, Jake Sully being like, so what, I just talk into this camera? And he starts doing his video block. And it's like, God, this is so lame. <laughs> this is so lame. So this is why I think Endgame's a better film. I totally agree with you, though. I think, like, there's a, something... I like the fact that every film that has taken the crown for the biggest global box office, so Gone with the Wind, Godfather, uh, Jaws, Star Wars, E.T., Jurassic Park, Titanic, Avatar, has... Uh, so or they've all been original films. Yes, some of them are based on books, but they're basically they're not sequels. Yeah. They're not part of a franchise. They may have kickstarted a franchise, but they weren't part of an existing one at the time. It was just something coming along and everyone going, Wow, that's really good. Yeah. With no preconception whatsoever. I just I really, really like that fact. So even though I do think it's a miles better film endgame than, than Avatar, I don't want it to I don't want it to take the crown. Mm. Um will it? Right, so uh, Aidan told me that he's prepped the numbers. I have. I crunched the numbers. And I don't know what the answer is, but I've honestly been... um, The listenership needs to understand that this has affected me emotionally for the last three or four weeks since it opened, and I sent a screen grab to Aidan. I'd noticed that our local cine world at Shepherd's Bush View, in the mall, not not the one at the Dirt Mall, was showing Endgame six times an hour on its opening day. And uh, that's obscene to me. It is. And since then, and since it looked like 
it was clearly going to overtake both Titanic and Avatar, I made a personal decision not to contribute to that because Cameron's my homeboy <laughs> and I don't want to see him knocked off the top of the table. Avatar has its faults. It's a fine film. Maybe, it, yeah, as you say, Endgame is a better film to be number one, but it's had all of the advantages which Cameron simply didn't. I mean, Cameron has made two films in the last 20 years. That's the disadvantage he was working at when he went to Avatar. He hadn't, he hadn't made a film in 10 years. I mean, it could be advertised with from the maker of Titanic, his first film in eight or nine years, you have to see this picture. But at the same time, I think it could be argued, um, where was his marketability? Uh, that's half a generation has passed in between those two films. So I took the decision not to contribute to the box office takings of Endgame. It's not contrarianism because it's uh, a popular part of our culture, uh, our culture at this time. I just, uh, it's, it's comparable to when Fulham were in the fourth division <laughs> with Wigan Athletic, and Wigan Athletic were owned by Dave Whelan, who ran JJB Sports, and or JD Sports, I always confuse the two. And we had one open in Ipswich, and my old man said, we can't buy from there because it contributes to a competitor. And I realised that this is proper fandom. Um, in as much, I'm now cheering James Cameron as I would be Fulham. Yeah. Which is uh, an, a new... It's new it's to interesting me because I, I cheer lead for Sophia Coppola, Catherine Bigelow. I'm used to doing that, Megan Ellison. But I've never before essentially, not boycotted, but chosen, no, I don't want to contribute to the success <laughs> of that film, no matter how good the film is. Um, no, I mean, I, I think with me, it's, like, it's not so much my Cameron fanboyism, although I am a Cameron fanboy. It's more just I... I we've talked in the past about how franchise cinema dominates the box office in a way that it never used to. And mm. I'm not, and you know, there's no question that cinema is in a great condition, at least as far as making good films. There's always great films out. You, the problem is you often can't get to see them because as you say, they put Avengers in 20 screens, they show it six times an hour. Yeah. And that, that blocks out the space, the bandwidth for smaller films to get through that want to be seen on a screen. That's one problem with it. Um, and then, you know, culturally, you look at the bo box office of, any year in the 80s, and I can guarantee you, I've looked at the numbers, there's two or three sequels every single year. And now it's like seven or eight. And yeah. maybe a Pixar original screenplay might get in there. And a Nolan, and that's about it. And it, Or maybe a Christopher Nolan, and that is it. And we are, as a society, predominantly going to the cinema only to watch these kind of films. That's why I don't want Endgame to take Avatar's crown, because the, the fact that an original non-franchise film, only original non-franchise films have taken that crown... I'm clinging to that. That's like mm. that's something. That's like originality is key. Originality is the prize, and it's like you know, and it, it's only going to get worse if you know, if you know these uh, films that are the twenty-second sequel to something can become that can gross three billion dollars. It's only going to get worse. So, I mean, it arguably doesn't make a difference because hey. It's taken $2.6 billion already. So it, maybe the damage has already been done. But I just like the fact that, you know, this film, not a great film, but an original film based on an original idea, is the highest grossing film ever. And I hope it stays that way. Shall we look at the numbers? Yeah. I really don't know what's about to happen now. Right, okay. Um, I, so I did this by looking at how much it grossed, the film's grossed every weekend and then sort of projecting forward. And I've been kind to the film because some of, some of its some weekends it's lost like almost seventy percent of its international gross weekend to weekend. Yeah, which suggests that the, the box office is incredibly front loaded. And but then last weekend it was actually quite low that it lost about fifty three percent. So I've used the lowest figure possible. 
So I'm being kind to Endgame here. So when you say lowest figure, you mean 50 and lower? I've, I've assumed that it's going to lose 53% of its audience every weekend. Rather than 75. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so low means low. It's yeah. not like uh, golf where <laughs> yeah. it's all transposed. Right, okay. So I'm assuming the best possible scenario for Endgame. Yeah, which is the worst possible scenario for me. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, these numbers are kind of a bit rough. I had to kind of... It's very hard to find weekday international gross numbers. I had to, like... Crikey. Yeah, I had to, like, take the global box office and take off the domestic box office from last week yeah. and, like, the international box office to find out what it grossed in five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I could then figure out what it was going to lose in weekday gross going forward. Anyway, it's all very complicated, but I took all the numbers. And so Avatar's final worldwide gross is $2 billion Seven hundred eighty-seven million dollars. Say that again. Say that again. Two billion. Yeah. Seven hundred eighty-seven million, nine hundred sixty-five thousand and eighty-seven dollars. That's what Avatar took worldwide. Twenty pounds of of that money is my money. Good. Because I saw it twice. No, thirty because I saw it in IMAX. Fifteen H in two thousand eight pounds. Oh well, I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling the figures out of my head. But I saw it in IMAX, and that at yeah, least back yeah. then would have been I don't know fifteen sixteen pound. Yeah. And a cinema ticket, I guess, I don't know seven or eight pound back what then. What I liked about Avatar was that it was a cultural event for the two hours you're watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After which I've never even seen it on the television. And I, it must I, be on for. I bought it. I saw it twice in the cinema. Bought it on Blu-ray, and then watched it one more time, and that's when like the badness of the script hit me. And then I gave it to a charity shop. <laughs> Yeah. And they gave it back to you. Yeah, and they gave it back okay. to you. Okay, right. So, 2.7 bill. Uh, so, my projected final worldwide gross of Avengers Endgame is 2,678,700. No, sorry, 2,678,000. Because these numbers are insane, aren't they? $735,400. It will fail to catch up with Avatar by $100 million by my projection. Now, I will say this, I'm not an expert box office analyst. Uh, there's a great person online called Gitesh Pandya who runs the uh, website Box Office Guru. He seems to think it's a toss-up. Like he said, it depends how much fans are re-watching this. Yeah. I don't really know why, based on the way I've projected it, he thinks that it's going to come close. As I say, this is the I've been as kind as possible to to end game here. That's close enough for me. Within a hundred mil is close enough for me. That's so you think? It's, so you still think it's a toss up? I can't speak with education on the matter because I don't run the numbers as you do, and my understanding of box office totals is developing. Yeah. Well, um, look, it's, it's, it's look, it took worldwide last weekend forty eight million. No, sorry, international last week it took 48 million. Uh, what I'm concerned about is it that took twenty nine domestic. That's going to halve next week. So I'm, next I'm week. nervous with forgetting. An emerging market like Wakanda, or <laughs> some no, fictional nation. No, no, no. This is this is what's interesting about yeah. Endgame. Um, Endgame was released everywhere at once. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's that's what's in, that's why it's slightly easier to game it worldwide. It doubled in its opening weekend what Infinity War took, but I think Infinity War was released in China like a week or two later, and China's figures are a large part of why this is taking a lot of money. Yeah, it took like. It's basically, ta I think it's taken roughly in China, not much less than it took in America, which is mad. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I can probably find the numbers somewhere, but it took like 400 opening weekend in China. That's mental. Oh, no, hang on. Do you know what? Don't count that fact. I think that is nonsense. But the fact is, it, okay. <laughs> it did insane numbers in China, and that's kind of a lot of where this, 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 uh, this numbers lie. I feel fairly confident it's not going to catch up because it's been released everywhere, it's dropping fast. 
you know, the, when it took 1.2 billion in, in its opening weekend, which I'd like to point out, it took more than Iron Man 3 took in its entire run in five days. And Iron Man, right, I'll, I'll try to remember, Iron Man 3 was at one point, I think, the third biggest film of all time. No. Fifth? It was either third or fifth. Oh, actually, because it came out... Uh... And then was quickly beaten by... The second, the second Avengers film and probably Jurassic World. But, I mean, cause a, a, as a fan of Shane Black, I hope that he can dine out on that for a long <laughs> time. I hope it will extend... The goodwill will keep going past The Predator, which wasn't good, unfortunately. Um, this is my point. Iron Man 3 was a legitimately huge film. Yeah, yeah. Probably the, best, the biggest film of 2013, I think. And yet, what, in five days, it, Endgame outgrossed it absolutely insane and the big question at the time was how front loaded is this it looked in the second and third weekend that actually maybe it would hit three billion worldwide but it's now looking like actually everyone just went out and saw it immediately and we are now seeing the the, the descent i think you can rest easy a bit but as i say smarter people than me think it's a toss-up and aiden and i have <laughs> literally been talking about this every three or four days yeah. aiden provides me with an update i, I look at box office guru every day i'm obsessed with this <laughs> And also, and also, interestingly, it didn't in uh, America. It, it beat so it's beaten every time in America domestically. Hasn't caught up with Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and it's not going to either. Dang. Yeah, so Star Wars: Force Awakens took about a billion, and this is taking about eight fifty. It's looking like it's going to cap out at eight fifty, eight seventy. Star Wars doesn't do well in China. Now I know there's yes, been exceptions true. subsequently, but for the first six pictures, well, blimey, if we talk about ninety seventy seven, I don't know what did well in China the in the seventies. And it weirdly does have an Asian influence. Like, you, you know what I mean? I know. I know. Oh yeah, I well, know. Japanese, I'm Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that's a broad thing to conflate the two. But um, the influence is in there. It is broad. I think it's accurate, though, to expect a cultural exchange at a cinematic level between Japanese cinema and Chinese and Hong Kong cinema. And, um, yeah, Lucas Cribb from Kurosawa and the entire conceit of the two droids is from the Hidden Fortress. Yeah. Jedi Gike is the name for their... I think it's their feudal... Soap operas, essentially. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's what it comes from. Jedi Gike, I think. Maybe that's why it's not big. Maybe it's just confusing to see their own cultural elements, like, mm. I don't know, diluted in, in this weird way. I tell you what, I'm glad that we... I haven't yet heard screams of cultural appropriation about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan <laughs> and um, Luke in Last Jedi, but the flowing robes, the hermitry... Well, this is why I think the cultural appropriation... Cultural appropriation is fine. There's a really good article, and I think the Guardian in the week about this and about how it's very, very difficult to expect when you have like mass migration and you know empire and stuff to expect cultural boundaries to stay intact. I don't. Yeah, I don't. And want the fact them is, to. and the fact is, we all love things that have a cultural appropriation. We love the Beatles. It's cultural appropriation. Yeah. It's fine. This is what you do. You see things you like, and you work that into your own thing and try and create something original. Bad things are things that just copy things wholesale. Yeah. Good things are things that take influences and merge them. So you know, Star Wars is Lucas going. I like Flash Gordon. I like old science fiction serials. I like 2001, Space Odyssey, and the effects in that. Let's yeah. try and do Flash Gordon mixed with weird Asian influences uh, on a 2001 you know, scale budget and effects-wise and see what we can make. And that's why it's amazing, because it, the influences are disparate enough to create something that's actually quite original. Yeah, I think about, about 20 years later, 22 years later to be precise, The Matrix was a revelation to Hollywood. However, its tropes had been in manga since Akira, yeah, at least 10 years. Again, However, to a mainstream Caucasian-American Hollywood-based audience, those themes were without precedent. Yeah, and you know, it's not to say that cultural appropriation can't be crass. 
you know, I'm never gonna, yeah. I'm never gonna dye my hair blonde and have dreads, for example, because <laughs> I think I would look shit, and I don't think it's a particularly great look. But if the, my view is, if the price for all rock and roll is, if that's the price, I'll take it. Well, just before we came to it, <laughs> if surfer dudes are the price of bad culture, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, no, I will take some cultural appropriation. Aidan was tinkling on the ivories and gave me a bit of craftwork, although it was autobahn, and. Without Kraftwerk, without Africa Bambata taking Trans Europe Express from Kraftwerk, we wouldn't have Africa Bambata's early hip hop output. That's what it's meant to be. Yeah. It taken from Taken. Well, from then, taken. But then also all synth new wave synth pop in the early eighties is was just those kids listening to Bowie and Kraftwerk and going, Yeah, let's take, let's take these what these German guys are doing, it sounds quite cool. Thank you very much for joining us on the Evening Glass. That's just a volivant in the Aidan Fletch smorgasbord. You can look forward to the six courser in June. Peruse our wares at our eBay, that's one sensational shop, with posters, records, laser discs, and more, and all proceeds go back into the podcast. You can dip into a veritable library of past podcast issues on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher, and on our own website, onesensationalshop.com, where you'll also find our articles on Jurassic Park, Shane Black, John McTiernan, and our favourites in contemporary cinema. Join us again soon.